Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, July 30th, and we are going to be checking in on earnings from some tech stocks. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's subpar sultan of stratospheric SaaS stocks, Brian Faroli. Brian, how you doing? Dylan, happy Friday to you. We are in the midst of earnings season, so we literally had a bazillion choices here. But <laughs> we, shared, we decided to share with the good people over at Motley Fool Money so we didn't overlap. That's right. You know, we try to maintain a nice, coherent content experience here at The Fool. Checked in with Chris Hill. They're going to be doing a lot of big tech earnings. So if you're looking for the breakdowns on the likes of Facebook, Alphabet, Apple, Shopify, they've got you covered. We're going to be talking about a couple names uh, that aren't making their list of episodes for Foolery and Motley Fool Money this week. In this case, we're going to be talking Pinterest. We're going to be talking about Upwork. And we're going to talk about Microsoft. We kind of we kind of snuck one of those big tech names in there, Brian, because we felt like we had to a little bit. On the off grant, you only listen to the Friday edition of, Motley Fool Te- of Industry-Focused Tech, and you don't want to listen to Motley Fool Monkey. We will give you one big tech stock. <laughs> there you go. It's too relevant. It's too important in the grand scheme of the economy uh, for us not to be talking about at least one of those names. Uh, but we'll start out talking about Pinterest. Um, this is a, you know, a, a name that I think a lot of fools follow. Uh, it is one that's in my portfolio, and it's one in yours. Uh, Brian, it belongs to my portfolio in part because you were pounding the table so hard on this company for such a long time. Uh, folks that listened earlier are definitely pretty happy with the results. Um, the, the company has been putting up pretty solid quarterly numbers. And yet again, we saw a fantastic earnings report when looking backwards. However, Pinterest stock at the time of this taping, not having a good day, so something clearly went wrong. But the headline numbers for this company were fantastic. Revenue grew 125% to $613 million. Not only was that way above uh, management's guidance, it also blew past Wall Street's estimate of $562 million. And if you look at where the revenue came from, the United States continues to be the dominant growth driver of the driver of total revenue. Revenue in the U.S. grew 65%. International revenue, which to me is the most exciting growth story for this company, grew 170%. We've seen this company make a lot of investments to grow its international business, and those investments are already paying off. Top line growth was huge, and on the bottom line, the bottom line number here was also impressive. Adjusted earnings were $169 million, that's $0.25 cents per share. Wall Street was only expecting $0.13. Cents. So the headline numbers for this company look great. Yeah, and, and I want to just kind of click into some of that um, geography-based revenue look that you gave. I mean, the the dynamic is always interesting with these ad-based businesses because North America and the United States always punches a little bit higher um, than the rest of the world simply because ad rates are going to be higher in those markets. So you really need a much larger international business uh, in terms of users for it to turn into anything that even matches what happens in North America in terms of revenue. We see that when we look at the ARPU numbers for this business. But even though US is going to be the driver and the ad rates are generally going to be the best there, um, you always want to see expansion. You always want to see growing TAM because it just creates more marketable opportunities for the business. 
Yeah, and for those that might be confused by that term ARPU, that's average revenue per user. Essentially, how much revenue does a company generate for each of its users? And if you look at the breakdown, uh, there are two different uh, two different worlds in terms of scale. In the United States, the average Pinterest user generates over $5 in, earn, uh, in revenue uh, for the company. That figure doubled year over year to f- over $5. Internationally, again, where they're still just getting ramped up, that figure grew to 36 cents. That figure was up 163%. So it just shows you that a user in the United States is quite literally right now worth 15 times more than a user in international markets from a revenue perspective. I think over time, those two numbers will converge on each other, but it just shows you how much revenue comes from the U.S. Yeah. And and it's incredible for me to see that triple digit growth, just given in some ways how mature this company is. I know that we're, um, you know, they're they're early on in their monetization efforts in a lot of ways for how long the company has been around. But for ARPU to be going up into the right and for it to be going up triple digits, what that means generally is you're seeing more inventory available within the user experience and advertisers are seeing really strong ROI on their ad spend and the rates that people are paying for those ad spots are going up over time. That's exactly the story that we're, we're seeing. So again, the headline numbers, the financial numbers looking backwards for Pinterest were great. There's no other word for it. However, the part that Wall Street is really not happy about is the monthly average user numbers. So globally, the company's monthly average users grew 9% to $454 million. That sounds great. However, when you dig into the details, there's, there's reasons to be a little bit cautious here. In the United States, the number of monthly active users declined by 5% to 91 million. Uh, and while internationally they, grew 13, uh, internationally they grew 13%, that was year over year. If you actually look at the quarter over quarter numbers, they declined in both geographies. So international monthly average users declined from 380 million last quarter to 363 million last uh, this quarter and the US it was even bigger 98 million last quarter to 91 million this quarter that has some people on Wall Street spooked yeah and, and it makes sense i mean users are the lifeblood of a social media company and i know you know you can debate whether pinterest is social media or it's visual discovery if it's a kind of e-commerce adjacent but but people on platform is really you know what's going to drive activity it's what's going to drive monetizable units in terms of ads all that kind of stuff. Um, and so any interruptions to the thesis of growing users over time, it's going to you know, hit pause. In the case of Pinterest today, we're seeing almost a 20% sell-off of the stock. So it's a very sharp reaction. Uh, but Brian, when I look at this, I, to some extent, I think it's just us reminding ourselves that there is seasonality with some of these businesses. And people are, you know, going back out into the world a little bit more than they have. I know there's there's a lot going on with the different variants right now with COVID, but a lot of the businesses that have been huge beneficiaries of COVID are seeing a little bit of stalling like you would typically see during the summer in any year except for 2020. Especially when you consider just the nature of what Pinterest business is. To your point, it's not a social network. It is in a, some ways, but it's in many ways it's not other. Pinterest isn't a site that everybody goes to every day to see photos of their friends or to see what's 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 hot and trending. It's a place that you go to when you need uh, inspiration. So uh, because of that, I understand why the the, uh, the quarter of a comment numbers uh, don't look all that great. In the year ago period, everyone was trapped at home. Everyone had nothing to do except for spend time in their house and on their house. That flows naturally into pulling forward a lot of demand for Pinterest. 
Uh, now that stay-at-home orders of easing and people are out in the world, I understand why the number of people that are going to Pinterest site uh, has declined. But if you double-click a little bit more into the, the numbers, I think there's reason for some optimism. First off, management said that web users were the least engaged. In fact, mobile users or people that are using uh, Pinterest on their mobile phone, they remained highly uh, active. And monthly active users of their mobile app actually grew 20% year over year. Management said that the entire delta for the monthly average user shortfall was based on web 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 browsers, which aren't as aren't as loyal. The other thing to note is that it's uh, the Generation Z, so its youngest audience, that is still growing at a at a double digit rate. So I think it has more to do with the timing of these numbers than anything else. But make no mistake, this will be the story for investors to watch moving forward. Yeah, and I think this is one of those stories that is both, when you look backwards on the immediate results, a little troubling, and with what the company guided for, also somewhat troubling. You know, we, we aren't necessarily looking at one quarter of them being pinched in this U.S. market. They're showing, hey, you know, this is probably something that we're going to be seeing both in the quarter that we just reported and in the subsequent quarter uh, that we're in right now. Yeah, for the upcoming quarter, management said that quarter to date, and again, there's only a few weeks worth of data here, but they said that quarter to date, uh, so for Q3, uh, monthly averages in the US were down 7% year over year. In the international markets, which again, it's got a bigger market from my pre-user base, they are up uh, 5, 5%. So we might be seeing some more normalization uh, on there. As a result, given what's happening with the, the member numbers, management is guiding for 40% revenue growth in the upcoming quarter. Keep in mind, this company just reported 125% revenue revenue growth. So while they might be being conservative, I understand why if you're in the stock for the short term, you're not feeling great today. Yeah. And, and I remember um, at one point, I think we talked about Pinterest on the show, and I said the, the dumb, simple way to explain the thesis for this company is their ARPU is about $5. Uh, Facebook's is, I, I think it's about eight to 10 times that. That's that's the growth opportunity for them. Even if they don't really have a dramatic rise in the number of users on platform, if they're able to keep the critical mass that they have and find ways to better monetize it, there's just incredible growth in front of them, Brian. I don't know that I've seen anything that interrupts that part of the thesis. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. In fact, management did say that while overall monthly average users and engagement were down, they said that shopping on their platform continues to be very high and far more resilient than the, uh, than the overall business. They also said that search traffic is actually elevated more than it was in the pre-pandemic uh, levels. Company also caused out that their recent partnership with Shopify is really paying off. They're seeing benefits there. And in the upcoming quarter, they're going to be rolling out those features with WooCommerce, which is a Shopify-like service, not nearly the size and scale, but another one. So the company is still investing heavily in making Pinterest a shopping platform. And as investors, that's something that should excite us because that will lead to, to revenue. And to your point, this company's average revenue per user uh, globally uh, last quarter was a buck thirty-two. Facebook last quarter, it was over $10. So even today, this company is still one-ninth the ARPU of Facebook. Is there room between those two numbers? I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I think even if you're applying a heavy discount and saying that they get to half of what Facebook has, that still means they've got, what, two and a half, three X in front of them. So, I mean, there's there's a good amount there. Um, and, and I think it's worth taking the step back. You know, one of the mistakes I made, we've talked about Snap on this show recently um, and how, you know, we, we basically looked at them when they first came public, had a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. 
kind of dismissed them. And they were a business that ran through user issues at points. They had some ugly quarters with what they reported quarter to quarter and year over year. Uh, and you know, that company has only gone on to 10 X since we reported some of those concerns. So, uh, you know, I think that there can be stumbling blocks along the way with users. It's just a matter of whether is this, you know, a, a, a couple quarter issue or, um, are we seeing people leave the platform? I tend to think it's seasonality just given everything else that's happening right now in the world. That would be my guess too. But again, that's something we're not going to know based on what we're seeing today. I'm reminded of Netflix. The year ago period, Netflix reported enormous growth in users. And the most recent quarter, their growth in total subscribers was down substantially. It was basically pulling forward demand that should have been happened in this quarter. I think we're seeing similar dynamics with Pinterest. But again, that's something we won't know until we see a couple more quarters of earnings. I think that's 100% right. And you know, as someone who is sitting on Pinterest shares uh, and and you know, some of my positions are down uh, since I bought them. I'm sitting in the red. Um, you know, I look at this and I say, this is the reason you buy into stocks over time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're talking about it today. And so, you know, full rules will, you know, preclude me from doing anything. But I, but I do think um, I'll probably be adding to the position at some point in the next couple of weeks, um, just knowing that the ARPU thesis is still there. People like this platform. There's nothing that's interrupting that part of it. We're just seeing some lumpiness in the business as a result of what's going on with the pandemic and some of the reopening efforts. I think that's fair. And one thing that management did call, point out on the uh, earnings call is they are experimenting with these things called idea pins, which are short form videos that they're saying are very popular with their users. They believe as they invest in this and roll them out, it won't lead to immediate revenue growth, but it should help to increase engagement. So if you believe this management team knows what it's doing, you have to trust that they will eventually get that MAU number back heading in the right direction. That's right. Uh, the second company we're talking about also ran into some issues of seasonality, though not as pronounced maybe uh, as Pinterest, and that is Upwork. Uh, and, and for folks that are unfamiliar, kind of the Pepsi to Fiverr's Coke, or perhaps depending on your perspective, the Coke to Fiverr's Pepsi. <laughs> Depends on whether you're looking at share price appreciation uh, or revenue, I guess. Um, but this is a freelancer platform uh, with high use uh, in the enterprise market in particular. Uh, ticker there is UPWK. Uh, a lot of folks familiar with this one. We use it here at The Fool plenty. Um, no surprise, Brian, this is one of those businesses that has done incredibly well during the pandemic. Kind of got a shot in the arm because of the pandemic and, and the move to digital. Um, a lot of businesses needing to stand up web efforts, needing copy for their websites, needing SEO help, needing social media help. Um, and that's where they're able to plug in pretty well. Uh, what we saw for the most recent quarter, impressive numbers, gross services volume up 50% year over year to $876 million. revenue up slightly less than that, 42% year over year. Um, a reminder uh, that revenue grew 24% year over year for fiscal year 2020. So we are seeing acceleration with this business, which is encouraging, Brian, because I mentioned that Fiverr dynamic before. And I think one of the things that we have long kind of wondered about Upwork is, all right, you're the bigger company. You're in this space, and it seems like you've got a foothold in the enterprise market. Why is this other company eating your lunch when it comes to growth? Yes, that was our big question mark all along, and we didn't know the an we we could we could summarize the answer, but we didn't know that because Fiverr came public after uh, Upwork did. I remember when you and I did the S one breakdown on Upwork. We both like there's a lot 
to like about this business. And man, is it on theme with where the world is heading. So why isn't it growing faster? They did have a management change uh, in the last 18 months, and it's possible that that would be the problem. But when I see 50% gross service volume growth, 42% revenue growth, and an acceleration there, that tells me that this growth story is back on track. I think that's right. And and you can find the competitive dynamics just looking at the income statement. It, it bounces off the page. Uh, the company is still losing money and, and it logged a loss of about $16.5 for the quarter. The reason for that, Brian, in large part was the SG&A spend. Um, it was up 52% year over year. So it grew faster than revenue growth and climbed to 63% of revenue, which is the highest amount I have seen in the time that I've followed it this company, I think a big part of that is they are in Greenfield area. They are trying to acquire as many customers, bring as many businesses online as they possibly can. um, Because I think in large part, the competition is heated up from Fiverr. And that's something that really they have to do, right? Because Fiverr was growing so much faster than they were and really nibbling at the bottom end. And we've seen Fiverr starting to move up market and become even more of a direct competitor. So it's not great when you have to see a company essentially spend like crazy to maintain what should be a leadership position. But I think that's the right move. I think it is too. I mean, if, if you're thinking gig economy, freelance, distributed networks of, of employees and contributors... Um, we're in probably inning one of that story. Uh, you know, we're we're really early on, and so getting people on platform is going to be huge. They've they've added some offerings that I think help them better compete in the space. Uh, one of them being uh, this project catalog uh, product, and so this is uh, something that they launched in late 2020, and basically it allows for pre-scoped projects. Um, to be offered in the way that you would almost be buying something on an e-commerce website. And so the projects are scoped out ahead of time. Um, it's available for instant purchase. And and what I think is kind of helpful about this is it removes friction for potential buyers. And it kind of provides a menu for people that are operating in different spaces as to what they might need. They, they don't have to invent the project for someone to fill. It's there for them. And I think that it's a very compelling offering if you're in the freelance space. And you're working with a lot of entrepreneurs that you know know that they need to do X, Brian, but maybe don't even have the language to know specifically what that means. And I think that is a great move because when it comes to using websites like this, it's easy to get overwhelmed. And even if you're a business, businesses like things to be easy. They don't want to have to go around and reinvent the wheel. So the more that Upwork can do to make its platform simple to use for both enterprises and for the freelancers themselves, the better it will be for engagement. Yeah. Yeah. You want to remove the number of decisions that people have to make and make it as simple as possible for them to use the platform. It seems like Project Catalog is helping people do that. Um, it's it's really just trying to reduce the decisions. Um, and it creates another way for, for people to engage with Upwork. Um, in the most recent quarter, that specific product uh, was responsible for 10% of the new customers they brought in. And they're kind of looking at this as something that can help them bring in new customers, but then also create cross-sell opportunities on platform, which I think is kind of compelling. You know, you're, you're bundling these things together. And I think as you identify a specific use case for a client, um, other ones will emerge. Um, we're seeing pretty strong stuff on the client side for this business. Core clients up over 20% uh, year over year. Those are some of their bigger clients. Um, and client spend within those big clients uh, up 114%. Uh, previous quarters have been 106, 102, and 100%. So that that number is moving in the right direction. And I think one that we're happy to see. What I think is kind of interesting is we're not going to be seeing those metrics going forward. Um, 
I'm never quite sure what to make of that, Brian, when a company has a number that looks like it's it's improving um, and they stop reporting it. When a management team has been reporting a metric since day one and they all of a sudden say, we're not going to be reporting this any longer, that tells me that they think that metric is about to head in the wrong direction. And I hate it when companies all of a sudden pull back on in investor information. So they better have a really, really good reason for, for doing so. So that move by them definitely irks me. Yeah, it's it's not great. We always are always we're always going to want more and more information, right? Transparency is helpful for us in figuring things out. Not to imply anything, uh, you know, malicious here. Just we'd like as 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 good of a lens into a business as we can possibly get. And I will I will die on the hill of Apple should be providing us the ASP and the number of units for their iPhone sales. But you know, Tim Cook doesn't seem to listen to me. Uh, so there we are, Brian. Um, they're doing some other stuff on platform that's kind of interesting too. Uh, they're they're launched they launched uh, in Q2 uh, this talent scout offering. Uh, basically helps businesses with hands on recruiting, um, and, and it kind of sidesteps the traditional staffing agency. What I see here is is a lot of efforts to solidify what they're offering on the enterprise side. I think in part to insulate themselves from some of the competitive pressure from Fiverr, because like you said before, Fiverr's moving up market and you're probably only going to have one freelancer solution at any given company, at least for the enterprise side. Yeah, I think that that's fair. But to your point, I know we've said this multiple times, both Fiverr and Upwork are competing and taking share in such a massive market that both of these companies have mega tailwinds behind this. I don't think it's going to be a one winner to rule them all. I think there's nothing wrong if you like both businesses to just buy both. Yeah, I, I was gonna say like if, if 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 in this you're like oh I don't know which one buy them both and just forget about it, <laughs> like that's I think that's a totally valid tactic. Uh, I only own Upwork and have been kicking myself for not having bought Fiverr earlier. Um, it is one of those stocks that's on my watch list, and I will probably wind up nibbling at some point just because uh, it's been such a great performer and it's nice to have two horses in the race, uh, so to speak. Um, if, if you're looking forward for this business, uh, in some ways similar to Pinterest with, with the story, just not as severe, um, management noted they are seeing some summer seasonality in their business. Um, typically, you know, they'd see a little bit uh, of, of a, you know, reduced activity in the summer months. Didn't see that in 2020. Now they're bumping up against those comps in 2021. They're guiding for 30% year-over-year growth in Q3, and they upped their full-year guidance to about 490 to 494 million in revenue, which would be just over 30% year-over-year growth. An acceleration for them. Um, and I think a lot of the things that put them in that position are going to stick around. Um, you know, the, the existential question for this business and for Fiverr, Brian, is what, what does reopening and a sustained reopening, one that we don't have to then go back to, you know, a shelter in place or, or a quarantine type situation mean for a business like this? And, and does all the activity we've seen get pulled forward in 2020 stick around? I am personally, technically a freelancer myself, and I can't ever see myself going back to the old way of doing things. I know a whole bunch of people that were forced to stay, work at home, and companies like Fiverr and Upwork allow them to continue to do so. So while there might be short-term bumps in the road due to people going back to the office, I think that both of these companies have a bright future ahead. Yeah, I think it's a trend that would be silly to bet against. You know, uh, too too many people enjoy it, and the benefits are there both for you know the the customer side um, and the provider side. You know, I mean, pe people love the flexibility, uh, people love being able to make their own hours, and for businesses, it's really helpful to be able to get expert level, uh, you know, consulting or actual work done for you. Um, 
without having to hire that person on, you know, full time, if you're just trying to scale something up in your relatively small operation. So I'm hundred percent with you. Um, Brian, our, our final company here, uh, everyone owns this stock. I think, I think we can, we can frame it that way. I uh, talked about two companies that maybe people don't have in their portfolio. If you own an index fund, uh, you own Microsoft and you own a decent amount of Microsoft, um, just because the, the S and P 500 is a market cap weighted index. Uh, this is, this is a company that we always want to look at because it has been a great performer and it's one of the largest ones in the economy. Microsoft reported revenue growth of 21% to $46.2 billion. It is amazing to me. This company came public in the 1980s. It's up, I don't even know how many thousands of percent at this point. And yet, 40 years later, they're reporting over 20% revenue growth in the quarter. Incredible. So that figure was not only fantastic in absolute terms, it was almost $2 billion, $2 billion ahead of what Wall Street expected in the quarter. Gross margin increased by 200 basis points to 70%. Add those together with some share buybacks, and we saw earnings per share grow 49% to $2.17. That beat the consensus estimate by a quarter. It was a very strong number from the headline perspective. Yeah, Brian, I don't think if that there's ever been a time in, in history. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like Bill Mann would hop in and be like, actually. Uh, but I don't think there's ever been a time in human history where companies this large have grown this fast. It's really incredible. So the, the FANG stocks have been unbelievable performers. And when you see results like this, it's understandable why. Their businesses are just incredible. And they are taking advantage of all the scale that comes with uh, modern, uh, modern modern computing. So the headline numbers for Microsoft were fantastic. And if you dig into the results even more, the results just keep getting better. So the commercial cloud business now has $69 billion in annual revenue. That figure was up 34%. I love this stat from the company's business. We have three Microsoft franchises that in the last few years have all surpassed $10 billion in annual revenue. Gaming, security, and LinkedIn. You remember LinkedIn? LinkedIn is doing great. Their revenue grew 46% in the most recent quarter. And I almost couldn't believe this. LinkedIn has 774 million members that are using it. 774 million. It's like the social network that we just forget because it lives inside this massive, massive company. So they are doing a really good job with that acquisition. $10 billion in annual revenue is incredible. Yeah, I think a lot of people were kind of wondering, you know, what what was going to come of that, uh, because you know, when when you have something like LinkedIn, you know, it's a consumer brand, something that a lot of people are familiar with, getting gobbled up by a, a big company that you know, for it, it's wonderful that it's turned into a good revenue contributor for Microsoft. But if it hadn't, Brian, a company of Microsoft size could have written that off, and it wouldn't have been a problem. And Microsoft has a history of doing just that, <laughs> of taking billions of dollars, acquiring something, and then later later just, just writing it completely off. So it's good to see that that acquisition uh, is paying off. 
Now, if we dig deeper into Microsoft's reporting segments, as a reminder, this company has three major reporting segments. The results across the board were good, although some segments are doing better than others. So with the company's productivity and business processing uh, segment, uh, revenue there grew 25% to $14.7 billion. That includes things like Microsoft Office, which was up 20%, LinkedIn, which was up 46%, Dynamic Products, which was up 33%, and Microsoft Teams, which again, is another what? This company has Teams has 250 million monthly active users, including 80 million members that are using the Team phone product. So Microsoft's business productivity twos are killing it. Yeah, I mean there there's nothing not to like in that in that rundown in that report. Um, not only do you have an incredibly well diversified business in in some ways. I mean Office we know is is, is such a large part of the story, um, and cloud is a huge part of the story too. And we'll get there in a second, um, but all of them firing on all cylinders. Double-digit growth at this stage of the game is just incredibly impressive. So in the company's intelligent cloud business, uh, that revenue grew 30% to $17.4 billion. That's the company's largest segment now. And that includes service, server products and tools. That grew 34%. Azure grew 51%. So again, the cloud is really the gift that's paying off for Microsoft. Now, if you look at the company's more personal computing, which includes things like Surface and Search and Xbox, revenue there only grew 9%. Still good overall. One of the reasons is their Windows revenue, that is still on the decline, which makes sense since many people are shifting so much to the cloud. But their Windows commercial products and cloud revenue, that grew 20%. So the Windows business overall is still, is still growing. Xbox revenue, which can be lumpy depending on seasonality and things, that actually declined by 4%, and surface revenue dropped by 20%. The reason for that, the company said, was due to supply shortages, so the chip shortage is hitting Microsoft in those departments. But how's this one? Search advertising revenue at Microsoft, yes, search advertising revenue grew 53%. Dylan, you remember Bing? It's still a thing. (laughs) I'm waiting, Brian, for you to be like, and restaurant revenue at Microsoft. <laughs> it, it just like th- start throwing out different categories. I mean, they, they have their hands in everything. Um, you know, we we got to a section where there are finally, you know, some numbers that maybe aren't quite as encouraging, but they are such a, a small part of the overall story that they almost don't even matter, especially when you have something that is uh, like a cloud segment that has grown tremendously, but is basically like, what, the next decade, two decades of, of tech they are squarely one of the top three players there. And so you know that that's just going to be the gift that keeps on giving. Given the numbers we this company is reporting and given the mega trends that are behind it, if you are a Microsoft shareholder, you should feel nothing but smiles about this report and feel really good about this company's chances going forward. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good point, Brian, because um, it is easy when you see a company hit, in, in Microsoft's case, it's a $2.14 trillion value, valuation. Um, and, and, you know, it, when you see Apple hit 2 trillion, uh, a little while ago and, and you see Microsoft hit that number, it invites the question, okay, well, how big can this thing really get? And when the growth rates are as strong as they are for a business like that, the answer is going to be bigger. The answer is just going to continue to be bigger, um, because it deserves to be worth more, uh, as it posts those overall growth rates. So, you know, I, I think if you're a shareholder, Props to you, uh, especially if you saw the cloud transformation that this company went through, because you've been rewarded handsomely for that foresight. But if you're not directly a shareholder, you're still benefiting as long as you own the S&P 500. You sure are. And 
Well, it is that is a very natural question to ask. I'll throw out there, but if I was to bet between Microsoft and Apple, I would have more confidence personally in Microsoft continuing to grow at a double-digit rate than I would Apple, just given the nature of its business. But if you feel otherwise, that might be a fun oh, bet that we could make. That's that's an interesting bet. So so to think about that for a second, Brian. Uh, so Apple needs hardware for its software to flourish, right? Like the the software and high margin sales that they make are dependent on them selling phones and computers. Not the case for Microsoft. I think that gives Microsoft a long-term edge. The mitigating factor is that Apple's so good at hardware that um, you know it, it kind of insulates them a little bit. But Microsoft's cloud segment is something that is kind of hard for Apple to replicate, even with services. Like, you know, it, it just doesn't sniff what what the cloud potential could be. I think you're probably right. Okay, so you're not going to take me off on that. I, I, okay. I know, but I wanted to I wanted to reason through it a little bit before I decided yes or no. But but yeah, I mean, and that's that's been a you know a thought for a long time. They've 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 jockeyed a little bit for for position. Apple's generally been the leader. Um, I would not be shocked if in two or three years we're talking about Microsoft being the largest company in the world. Um, though you know, Amazon might hop in there too. It's hard to say. I bet that I bet that Microsoft <laughs> regains its title, and currently it's about three hundred billion smaller than Apple. But those two numbers bounce around anyway. What's three hundred billion between titans, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> What's a PayPal valuation between tech titans? Uh, before we wrap up today's show, uh, because we were hitting so much earnings news, uh, we very serendipitously got this question at industryfocus@fool.com from one of our listeners, and I want to hit it uh, from G Cam asking, can you discuss the various reasons for a stock sell-off after reporting good earnings? For example, Apple and Starbucks reported good earnings, but their stocks are trading lower today. And this, this is a little bit earlier in the week. Uh, so the day-to-day movements might not be captured there. But but Brian, um, I, I think this is a great question because we've done shows so many times where we've said, wow, you look backwards and the results are just incredible. And then you see, in the case of Pinterest, right, 20% decline. So we talked a little bit in the case of Pinterest about why that might be happening, but let's broaden this conversation out a little bit and talk about some of the different considerations that go into that. That can be one of the most confusing things. And one thing that I've heard Seth Jason say, and I fully agree with it, you could give me the earnings report ahead of time and I'm the only one that has it. I still couldn't predict which way the stock is going to go the next day. So there's a bunch of reasons that stocks can report good earnings and the stock can decline. And it's also, it's also worth asking, well, what does a decline even mean? Sometimes I've seen plenty of cases where a stock gets crushed in the after hour training and before market trading, and it actually closes the next day up. So it really depends on what time frame you're talking about. But I would say the number number one reason that that happens has to do with what happened with the stock before it reported earnings. If the stock was on an upward trajectory and it was going higher and higher and higher, and then it reported earnings and they were great, but they weren't great enough, sometimes stocks just get hit because their stock had appreciated too much. The other reason that stocks get hit very hard often, it's not so much about what did you just do, it's what are you about to do. In other words, uh, Wall Street pays far more attention to what management says about forward guidance than it does to the absolute earnings in behind. As we just said for Pinterest, 125% revenue growth. They du- they almost doubled the, the estimate on, on the bottom line. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. But the only thing that Wall Street cared about was monthly active users. They are hyper focused on monthly active users and what's going to happen happen next. That's why I think Pinterest is getting uh, is getting smacked around. One other thing to just keep in mind is what is happening with the 
overall market that day. Sometimes a company can report great results and they just happen to report on a bad day for the market when everything's getting sold off. Or maybe their competitor reported earnings the same time and it was slightly better uh, and they're getting sold off. So there's a bazillion reasons why it can happen. But as foolish investors, you should focus on the business and not so much the stock. Yeah. And, and I think um, that that breakdown is great, Brian. The the quarter that just happened versus the guidance is also helpful because, you know, that that look reminds us that, you know, companies are in a lot of ways the reflection of future cash flows brought to present, right? And we, and we have to remind ourselves that. And even an amazing quarter is three months of that and it already happened. And when we start getting into what guidance looks like, we start getting into expectations, particularly for richly valued stocks, um, maybe a little bit less so for for the likes of Apple and Starbucks, um, any interruption to that growth story is going to cause an outsized impact in the stock. It's, it's just the nature of it because so much of the valuation for those businesses is what they'll become, not necessarily what they are right now. I think that that's completely fair. And again, it can be so confusing to say, this company just did great. Shouldn't stock be up today? But yeah, that can happen all the time. Previously, I was a shareholder of LinkedIn and I vividly remember one time when they reported earnings and that next day, the stock fell like 45% or or something like that. I mean, it was a stunning next day uh, decline. Jeff Weiner, the CEO actually had to have an all-hands meeting with the company to say, this is fine, <laughs> we're still in great shape. And if you bought after that managed decline, you, may, you did well because Microsoft bought them out at above where the stock declined. So I always try and keep things like that in mind because I've seen fantastic long-term investments like Netflix, like Apple, like Amazon just get punished brutally the day after they report great earnings. But if you believe in the company and the thesis is all long, is act hack long term, that's what really matters. Yeah, and and to your point about the run up, Brian, you know, if you if you zoom out on a company like Pinterest, so all right, down a little over twenty percent this week, which is tough to stomach if you're a recent shareholder. Um, that's basically back where they were in mid May. They're they're basically flat from the from the bottoms of mid May. Um, so the you know the company went on a pretty stellar run uh, in a really short period of time. And we have to remind ourselves that you know, seeing a stock go up about forty percent in two months, um, it it feels great if you're a shareholder. Uh, it's not necessarily the way that share price appreciation or or company growth always happens. It tends to happen slowly, and success doesn't look like a line that's consistently up and to the right. That's right. And one thing that I take part in, knowing as a Pinterest shareholder, Pinterest, the business today is worth thirty-seven billion dollars. Facebook, the business, is over $1 trillion. In other words, more than 30 times bigger. Again, is there room between those two numbers for for Pinterest to appreciate? I think the answer is yes. I do too, Brian. And that's why it's sitting in my portfolio. Uh, Might be adding a little bit more later in August. We'll see. We will see. Brian, uh, it's always nice to commiserate. When, when, when stocks are down a little bit. Uh, but but it was fun to go through earnings. Uh, and, and like I said, folks, if, if you're looking for some discussion on big tech, head over to the Market Foolery feed or the Motley Fool Money feed. Uh, folks over there have you covered. We let them have it this time, Brian. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we hog the earnings, but we got to let them have those too. You're welcome, Chris Hill. You're welcome. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thanks, Dylan. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. 
Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at pool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on. Oh,